Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. Just before we get started, a word from our friends at Future Golf, the official golf club partner of the 19th Tee Podcast. Future Golf is Australia's largest golfing community for younger players, providing access to some of Australia's very best courses. Your membership includes free rounds, over 90 discounted green fees Australia-wide, a free professional lesson, an ex-golf simulator session, and of course, the all-important Golf Australia handicap. The best part, though? definitely the price with packages starting at just $24.95 per month it is the very best value golf membership you'll find plus listeners of this little podcast get a further 10% off with any future golf membership with the promo code the 19th t that's t-h-e-1-9-t-h-t-double-e and what i will say druids is the folks at future golf have been fantastic in the current crisis all current members will have their their full 12 month membership uh, granted, once golf recommences in each of your states, if you're signing up to a new membership at the moment, same deal. If you can't play, say if you're in Victoria and you're jumping on board with a new membership, then you'll have your full 12 months once golf resumes. They've been fantastic in honouring their memberships in the current crisis, so they deserve a big pat on the back, but there's certainly no reason not to jump on board with Future Golf at this point in time and save yourself a bit of cash, the 19th D promo code, that 10% off any new membership. So if you're looking for a place to play without the jacket and tie, Look no further than Future Golf. Head to www.futuregolf.com.au forward slash join. And don't forget to use the 19th T promo code for an extra 10% off. Future Golf, play your way. This is the 19th T podcast. Kieran Marsh and Nathan Drudy back with you for another week. Drew, it's always good to have your company. Very excited about this one, KM. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, we also aren't too far away from the resumption of some some professional golf, the Charles Schwab on the PGA Tour next week, which we will uh, obviously take a look at next week's episode. But as you say, tonight's guest, I'm sure, is is looking forward to uh, not just the PGA Tour, but the European Tour getting back underway. I speak, of course, of up-and-coming young Aussie golfer Zach Murray, who's kind enough to join us on the 19th day. Zach, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas. It's uh, very nice to be here. And as I say, you must be almost chomping at the bit now that the, the, the reality of getting back to golf, albeit uh, the pause will be a little longer for you, those of you on the European tour, is, is becoming a becoming a bit of a light on the horizon. Yeah, it is. It's really nice to see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. You know, it's uh, the European tour release. Um, six events uh, scheduled for July and August um, a couple of days ago. So, um, yeah, I was really excited to, to see that. I... I really, to be fair, um, don't watch a hell of a lot of news and um, I just sort of checked um, sort of to see how the UK were going with the coronavirus and, um, you know, they're still really struggling quite a bit. Um, so I sort of, I was excited and then I, you know, you sort of take a step back and look, you know, and you go, geez, I've still got to be pretty careful about how I go about things, but I am excited to... Uh, hit the links and um, I'm sure the European Tour will have all their safety measures in place, but I am uh, I'm chomping at the bit to get out there and compete again. Probably not a bad, particularly at present, uh, a bad ethos to have is not to pay too much attention to the news. Uh, but, but Zach, how, how have you handled the break? Uh, obviously, it's I mean, it's a unique situation for everybody. It's certainly not exclusive or immune to golfers, but you know, to have your I suppose your, your, your first year out there, well, I suppose consistent big-time golf in the European Tour interrupted in a fashion like this. How have you dealt with it both, I suppose, keeping yourself on track physically and, and mentally engaged? Um, yeah, well, I had planned after I so New Zealand Open was my last event and then I basically got back into the country um, a week before, um, you know, shit hit the fan, really. So... Um, that was uh, that was lucky in that regard that I didn't have to quarantine. So I had six weeks planned um, to have a break, um, and I had all intentions of to go into the footy and having a couple of Coltons with the lads, and um, that didn't eventuate. So I was sort of pretty bummed that I didn't get to do that. But um, obviously, it was a, a pretty horrible situation for the whole world to be in. Um, 
that's no doubt at all. But I've sort of um, went back to the country um, in Albury, Wodonga with mum and dad and two brothers. And um, my brother did his ACL in January. So it was really nice to be around and support him, which sort of took my mind off not being able to play golf. Um, we set up a bit of a gym in the garage, um, which was fantastic. Mum and dad and my other brother Ty started utilising that. So it was just nice to see the uh, family interacting together um, with a bit of cohesion for once. Usually if I'm, uh, I'm back, it sort of throws a few spanners in the works, really. <laughs> you mentioned Albury Wodonga, obviously the, uh, the great uh, two towns that, that straddle the border of New South Wales and Victoria. Take us back there and, and, and where it all began. And I suppose where your connection to golf began because, you know, growing up in, in the country, it's probably also more of a connection to, to football, most people already assume. So how, how was it that you got yourself into the game of golf growing up in, the, in, in country Victoria? Um, yeah, so it was a bit of a strange one, really. I I don't, I can't even really remember as a kid knowing what, ever even thinking about golf or knowing what golf was. You know, I, I think I watched Happy Gilmore in the old fashion saying, you know, golf is for my next door neighbor that you can't with a huge ass or whatever he says, you know, and I, you know, I was, we used to roll around school and say that all the time. And then all of a sudden I was the one playing. So, um, yeah, it was really, it was, you know, my, I'd say my friendships struggled a little bit when I first started to play golf and, um, only got into it just because of a mate that, um, him and his dad were going out for hit and, and he asked me to, you know, come tag along and I did and I just really enjoyed um I really enjoyed it. It was I've always sort of been someone that uh likes to rely on um my own actions and, and decisions I suppose. So I really enjoyed the individual aspect of of the game. Um I still continued to play footy back up at home. Um but yeah I had to make a decision there sort of when I was well, I didn't have to make a decision, but when I was 15 and 16, I sort of started to make a few state size and stuff, and I just needed to um, put my attention into into one basket, which I did. And um, but yeah, that's sort of uh, how it all transpired. It was yeah, no one in my family ever played. Like Dad, sort of only played on footy trips and stuff, you know. And that um, you know, never really too competitive. It's all about how many cans you can think. So. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was really it was really cool. I mean, the whole family sort of got into golf when I got into it, so it's, it's been nice. Tell us about country golf, Zach. Um, I've had some some great experiences over here in WA uh, playing some of the country tracks. You've played some of the best courses in the world, Pebble Beach. Um, you know, we'll get on to your time at WGC Mexico Chapultepec a, a little bit later, but. There's something nice about playing at a country course, and I suppose for you when you go home and, and you know get, it, get back out on where it all started, it must feel um, it, it must feel absolutely fantastic to be back in your hometown and supporting your local club. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. You know, and you don't have to go too far. You ask anyone that knows me, and they'll tell you how much I love the country. It's, it's um, I really, obviously, I really enjoyed being here in Melbourne. But yeah, I, I really enjoy getting that here in Freeway and, and rolling up back home um, to uh, to play at Wodonga. I, I grew up playing at Wodonga. I sort of started to play a little bit over at Albury when I got a little older, but um, Wodonga is where I um, grew up playing and, and learned to play the game. And I mean, you know, every, when I go back, every man and his dog um, wants to come and have a chat, which is when I first sort of. Um, you know, started to play, you know, at a high level as an amateur and then I sort of transpired into professional. Like I always sort of, I struggle with that, you know, because I just wanted to go down. I never had anyone really come up and, and wanting to know what I was you know, doing in my life, so to speak. So um, I really um, enjoyed that aspect of, and that is sort of the challenging aspect of having to um, communicate with everybody. And it's really important that, I do because they've supported me um, from when I was a, a little grasshopper. So um, that's what I love most, going back and seeing, you know, seeing the memories, you know, the old guys um, that used to cook the snags on the barbecue and stuff that are rolling around in the veterans on a Tuesday, heading down and having a putt and having a chat with them. And 
obviously when when the clubhouse is open and um, having a beer with with all the uh, members and usually I'd um, get up and have a have a bit of a chat about what's going on um, in the world of golf when when I do play in the Saturday comp and it is really special like um, you know Wodonga's Wodonga Golf Club is um, a fantastic place and the membership there is uh, is really good and I've met some amazing people and um, yeah but the uh, it's just pretty special to go home and um, everyone sort of had a chat to you about where you've been and what you've been doing. It's, it's pretty cool. Did you take to the game pretty naturally, Zach, or or was it something that you sort of had to work at for a few years before you started to see a few results, or how did that all come about for you? Um, I can't really i I can't really remember the first couple of times I played. I'm sure I was pretty average, um, as everybody is. Really, it's a pretty tough game to pick up straight away, but I think. I think I first got my handicap sort of a year after I sort of first started playing and I was off 36 um, when I was 12 or 13. And then actually my first comp round was in the Wodonga Pro-Am in 2008. And I think I had 46 points or 48 points or something. So, um, and I won the, uh, and I won the day and um, I still remember having two or five on the 16th um, for part three. So, um yeah, I sort of, I don't know, I sort of, I must have had a bit of natural ability, obviously, but, um, yeah, I just, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think when I was, when I was sort of 14 or 15, I, I do remember sort of realising um, that, uh, you know, this might be something I want to want to put a bit of effort into and, and, um, and try and make a career out of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, di- I did get pretty good, um, pretty quickly, and then I I did taper off. I I stopped playing for probably six months and went back to try and play footy. Um, it was sort of when I sort of got to sort of seven and eight handicap, and I just couldn't get down any lower. Like I just really struggled. Um, and then I did six months, and I came back, and I think I had under par in my first round back. So um, yeah, it was uh, it's been a pretty crazy journey for sure. Zach, can you attribute that, I suppose, that rapid growth in your game to anything more than the, the time off? Because it's interesting hearing you speak, right? You talk about the fact that you got down to an eight and you, you eight or seven handicap, you couldn't really break through much further. You took six months off to go back to footy and fast forward a couple of years and you're finishing ninth at the US Amateur. So I'm, I'm curious to know what you think is behind, like when you came back to the game from that point to where you are now is some quite rapid growth and what you maybe put that down to? Yeah, I think it's undoubtedly expectations for sure. I um, have been working with a mentor psychologist. I don't really have a label to put him under. Um, he's basically just become a a father figure, a best mate. Um, his name's Ken Little and he's um, based back home in Wodonga and... Um, I've sort of gone over my my career and, and it all sort of just boils down to expectations um, and I'm I'm a really big thinker. I, I think a lot about what could happen, what has happened and I'm a pretty big reflector. I always sort of lay in bed at night and sometimes don't really get that much sleep about thinking about, you know, what, what the future might hold or what I've, you know, got to do and I think um, when I got to that point of being off seven and eight, I just was really overthinking, thinking and putting a bit too much expectation on myself to to play because I got good so quickly. I just thought it was going to continue to happen. Um, and I suppose I've gone through a little bit of that um, over the following years of my career. I sort of, you know, I think it's like every aspect in life, you sort of really plateau there for a little bit and then all of a sudden you the expectations go down or you sort of forget about it and all of a sudden things take off again. So um, I've sort of had to, had to manage that. And um, fortunately enough, I've now sort of found the consistency and found the balance of what I need to do to um, keep those expectations um, at bay and and really have have some goals and, um, and try and and try and plan towards um, just getting a little bit better. Um, every year over the course of my career. 
Are the greatest expectations from yourself or, or, or do you find that, you know, often you speak to athletes who come from country towns and there is pressure or expectation placed on you from the people who love you the most and that's the people who want you to do well but because you come from a place where everybody knows each other, people who go above and beyond are often put up on a pedestal. So do the expectations come from yourself or do you feel it more broadly than, than just yourself and your family? Is it the community as well? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think um, I think moving to Melbourne uh, two years ago was the best thing that I ever did. Um, I came down here and no one no one really knew me, you know. Like I mean I walked down the main street in Wodonga even when I was, you know, seventeen and eighteen and like I'd run into people and just chat to them but it'd be always about my golf, you know, and, and I think often as an athlete or um, even just as a high profile business person in a small town, it's sort of always about how your business or how how your sport might be going and it's never really about how your actual life is going. I think that's what I struggle with the most is that everyone may have seen me as Zach the golfer rather than as Zach the human. And I think sometimes I think that is where athletes um, do really struggle mentally is that expectation is for them to perform on the golf course or their, or their sporting field or in their business rather than them just living the best life they can. And I think moving to Melbourne, I, lost some of that expectation on what people um, might have thought of me, you know, albeit they would have been, albeit everyone just wants to see you do your best and supporting, but in your own mind, you turn, you turn that around and, and put it and turn it into expectations. So, um, yeah, moving to Melbourne was a really big step forward for me and I've never been someone that likes, um, being away from home, I mean, even like school camps and stuff, I always struggled and going overseas to play golf for the first time. It was, you know, absolute nightmare. I don't think I really slept for a couple of nights. And um, so, yeah, it's been not only in those expectation um, bracket, but also just um, through there myself um, as a human moving to Melbourne was, was uh, a really key uh, key moment in my life. Zach, doing my uh, intensive research on you, which is scrolling through your Instagram feed, um, I came to a, a post back in October of 2014 uh, with you holding the trophies for the Vic Country Championships. Tell us about that moment, mate. What was that like? Because um, as you mentioned, you're a good good country fella. Um, I imagine that winning the country championships meant a hell of a lot to you and still does. Yeah, that was really, a really cool moment. That was pretty... I got lucky for sure. I uh, <laughs> not many people would know the story. I, I did get lucky. This is the luckiest win in my life, I reckon. Apart from probably, um, no, it would be for sure. So I, I, I think I was the only person to have under par in the first round, um, and I think the first round might have been at Gardner's run or a settler's run or one of those two. Um, and then the next day was just absolutely blowing a Megan Gale at Riversdale Golf Club and um, I think I think I might have been seven over through nine um, and they cancelled the day um, so I won <laughs> so it was uh, it was definitely lucky and I think someone I think someone was in the clubhouse with with even par for the 36 holes but um, they weren't going to get it finished because obviously it goes on to the country teams championships after that so um, yeah, I took the trophy and ran straight to the pool room. It's a great story. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, um, so. I suppose that, I suppose I said that there's no luck, but I suppose that can be counted as pretty bloody lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a huge cypress tree. Just, I was walking down the first, so I teed off the back nine and I was walking down the first room, down the path three up the hill and I was down the bottom and this huge cypress tree just fell about 20 meters in front of me. And I thought, geez, like, and I don't know why, but I just called the rules official over and I said, mate, like, we can't be playing like this is ridiculous. You know, like, if I was 20 minutes further, I'd, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you blokes for yeah. sure. I'd be six foot under. So, and he said, yeah, right. So then I was walking down the second and he came, he, then they blew the siren, you know, and then I thought, oh, 
you know, what's going? I didn't expect to win. Like I was seven over or something ridiculous like that. Like I, I think I just four putted the eighteenth, and I was, you know. Um, but yeah, that is a uh, quite a lucky, lucky win. Uh, tell us a, a bit about in 2018. You're over at the US Amateur. You finished ninth there, and uh, that event was won by Victor Hovland, of course. Now doing great things on the on the PGA Tour uh, and at Pebble Beach. So tell us tell us what that experience was like. Obviously, playing at Pebble is 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 an incredible experience in itself. Not that I've had the uh, the, the ability to play it, but um, What's it like playing at Pebble and, and also competing in such a, a huge event um, when, when you're only relatively young yourself? Oh, it was an unbelievable experience. Um, obviously, you know, not to state the obvious, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's quite an amazing place, to be fair. I I still remember sort of taking, the first time I got there, we walked down 18 um, and I sort of did sort of a... Um, a sort of a panoramic shot around sort of the around the bay or around the uh, the edge of the cliff there on 18, and I I think I posted the story and I said this is a bit like Wodonga, um, so I still remember that moment quite because uh, it's just it's basically on the on the edge of the earth, you know, it's an amazing place um, to think to think about how much that land is worth, and you know you've got a golf course there, it's just phenomenal, um, and then obviously to play play the way I did um, really put a cherry on top. My my uh, dad's cousin, um, I call him Uncle, Uncle Brett, he uh, he caddied for me that week um, and uh, he was uh, he was shouting my accommodation at the uh, Spanish Bay where we, we stayed in the I think it's about, I think we got it half price and I think it was 450 US a night. And I just kept freaking winning in the match play and he's going, bloody hell, mate, you're going to send me broke. Um, <laughs> so uh, it, was a, it was a bloody nice hotel room, I tell you what. It was, uh, it was pretty good. So all I wanted to do was keep winning so I could light the fireplace every night. Speaking of winning, uh, the same year, 2018, you, you had a great year there. You also... Um, the victor at the WA Open over here in Perth, uh, two-shot winner over David Michaluzzi. Um, I think it was at Mount Lawley in 2018. Was that right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, how did you? What was that moment like when you when you walk off? You've won the WA Open, um, a state open, um, which which we've got a lot of time for here on on the 19th tee, and um, you've got the trophy in your hands. Is it, what's going through your mind when you when you've actually got the trophy in your hands? Are you still sort of um, is it relief? Are you pinching yourself <laughs> that it's not really real? How's that all playing out in your head? Oh, well, I just didn't think I'd ever be able to win with the old man on the back. You know, I thought it was a uh, handicap to have him caddying for me. So I think I was just astonished that I had the willpower to um, put up with his nonsense all week and, and get the victory. But uh, that is probably, that'll probably be the, you know, one of the uh, most special, um, and you know, to share to share that with with my dad, um, you know, still gives me goosebumps. It was, I was we were both pretty emotional, you know. Like I, I still remember, you know, Craig uh, on the 18th hole just crying, you know, like because he'd been there with me since. We first hopped on a plane to go over and play the junior players, and when he was driving me down to. Melbourne to play pennant for Commonwealth and for him to be there and, and share that with me was, uh, you know, freaking unbelievable, you know, like I, I think we, he flew back to Melbourne the, the day after and, and I was on, um, and I was on uh, a flight up to, to Queensland um, and I remember sitting on the plane and I just, I think I started crying, you know, I just thought, wow, like I'm going to be able to share that with the old man for the rest of my life. Um, so, I was uh, I was freaking shit myself that whole last last, last Sunday, but um, yeah, somehow somehow I birdied three in a row. I think I birdied fifteen, sixteen, seventeen to get a four shot lead. Um, but yeah, thank God I did because I don't know, I can't really remember the eighteenth. So I'm still bloody shaking. Zach, uh, talk us through your decision to to turn pro. I, I'm curious because I've been listening to you and. 
more often than not, you, you know, the players we speak to on this on this podcast fall into two pretty neat categories. It's the ones that probably knew all along that this is what they wanted to do, and there's the others that maybe matured late and you know went went through a patch in their late teens to early twenties and decided right this is something I really do want to have a crack. You seem to me like you fall into the second category, and so I'm curious to know what led to your decision to fully commit. Um, to golf and making that your career. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I definitely think that um, I definitely fall into that second category of, um, and I don't necessarily think I was a late bloomer, so to speak, but just like I never really, I never really thought about playing golf as a profession at a, like and having success, you know, I mean, I thought about being a golf pro, but being a golf pro and being a, and a successful one, you know, is pretty slim. Um, and I, I think uh, it's a real, it's probably just a real credit to the people that I had around me during that, during my sort of last eight, 18 months as a, as an amateur. Um, I had some pretty special people. I I um, was fortunate enough to be training with uh, Jason Akamanis. Um, sort of, he was, you know, pretty pretty heavily involved in wow, in um, my life there for you know a, a fair while. Um, and there's absolutely no doubt that his uh, knowledge, um, just about you know training and sport, was was um, was had a huge effect on me. And he did caddy for me a couple of times. Um, you know, as much as um, as much as he's a pretty controversial um, figure in in sport, he's a um, he's a really intelligent guy, and um, I definitely um, a big thanks goes goes to him. Sort of in that last um, little bit when I was an amateur, because um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool training with a Brownlow medalist um, back home in the country for for a good year and a bit. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was sort of um, a key moment, and then obviously through him, I actually met Ken, who I spoke about earlier, um, and was doing sprint training with him. Um, and yeah, we just sort of I actually came back from America um, early on a trip um, because I was really struggling mentally just being away from home, and that's sort of when Ken took me under his wing, and I was still amateur at this stage, and. Um, yeah, it's been. I've got a pretty like crazy story as an amateur, really. Like I, I was really struggling being away from home, and I never actually thought that I was going to be able to do it as a profession um, because I just hated traveling overseas. Like, you know, I'd I'd spew before I'd get on the plane and and stuff like that. And um, so yeah, it was. I definitely had my doubts that I wasn't going to be able to do it. You know, I used to drive to the airport and and look at people just crossing the road at home and I think, geez, I wish I was just a normal, like not a normal or just a normal person, just being able to be at home with my family. Um, and that's sort of not really comforting when you're about to get on a 14 hour flight to go away for four weeks. Um, so I really struggled with that for a bit. Um, and then, yeah, I just, Kenny just basically got, uh, got my head, head together and, um, yeah, I mean, my girlfriend moved with me um, down to Melbourne and then she's been travelling with me a little bit over the last sort of 18 months, which has made a huge difference in, in the way I travel and the way I function when I when I get on the ground. Did anything change for you in terms of... Uh, you seem to me as though the way that you grew up on the game, um, particularly and whether or not it is entirely due to growing up in a country town, but there's a real love for the basics of the game and that passion i'm curious to know does it change when you turn pro when you know your livelihood depends on results when you're booking travel and you're doing all the things that people don't see the less glamorous side of professional golf does it take away or is it affected in any way the passion that you have for the game um not really to be fair i i, I just love i love competing um on the golf course and I, I do all my traveling and stuff myself. And I think, um, you know, I think 
the only the reason why I I'm like that is probably just because I've been through so much stuff um, outside of you know booking flights like and or and the travel um, logistics wise you know I I know I've been through so much more than just um, just that so the golf really um, takes or the actual organisation of of getting to tournaments really takes a um, a backseat and it just sort of, I just go through the motions with that um, because usually I'm dealing with managing um, you know a bit of anxiety and stuff and really like I think that's probably and as, as weird as it sounds I think that's why I've had success early just because I've been I've been through um, some pretty tough times and I the golf you know really took a backseat I was just basically trying to get to tournaments um, and and just do my best really and I think that's as we first go back to where we started in the first bit of the podcast expectations like my expectations when I first turned pro because I was worried about the travel so much just went out the window and then all of a sudden I had success just because I didn't I didn't expect myself to play that well when I was going through with so much um, crap so um, you know I think my mind has just been so far on trying to better myself and, and be the best person I can be rather than all the travel and the actual golf itself is really sort of, um, you know, taking a back seat. And I think that's probably why I've um, had such a good start. Now, Zach, I don't want to put words in your mouth because obviously the, the win at the WA Open, as you said, may well be the most special of your career today, but arguably the largest came in 2019 at the New Zealand Open. Uh, where you, you broke through for your first major uh, major victory of your career. Now, I told Nathan from the outset here just to steer well clear of this question because it holds a special place in my heart because of where it happened at the Arrowtown Golf Club in uh, just outside of Queenstown, the South Island, New Zealand. You won by two shots over Ashley Hall and Josh Geary, uh, 21 under. I can guarantee you I didn't hit 21 under the day I played at Arrowtown. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts on, on a course that, uh, to be fair, the listeners of this podcast are probably sick of hearing me wax lyrical about, but your, your, your thoughts, I'm sure it obviously is special to you because it, it was a place where you won, but take us back to that New Zealand Open, um, your, your first big victory, and doing it at a course that probably doesn't have the reputation of some of the ones that surrounds it, like Millbrook and the Hills and Jack's Point, but in and of itself is a beautiful little course. Yeah, it was... Uh an amazing experience so as again you know like I mean I've, I know I reiterated a lot like you know I've had some pretty cool experiences first out and um Arrowtown is uh I think the bakery might be nearly even better than the golf course oh gee the pies how the pies at the Arrowtown bakery oh I can still oh man I smashed a few this year I tell you what like they're just fantastic um the sausage roll um everything so actually my one of my one of my mates, his cousin, um, shipped over from Australia and was working in the bakery. So we got a couple of freebies, which is good. So um, that's a uh, yeah, it's a pretty small world, but yeah, it was a it was an unbelievable. And I mean, the hundredth New Zealand Open, I I didn't really understand, and I don't think um, I don't think you know a lot of people in that field would have said understood the history of the New Zealand Open, you know, it, I mean, some pretty cool names on that, on the trophy. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think I've ever been so nervous in my life coming down the last hole that I never thought, I never thought I was going to get off the, off the bloody thing. I'd hit it over the back of the green and had to, uh, had to get up and up and down. Um, well, I had to get up and then two putt it to win. And, um, I was just going up this year, grass face wall with a big bunker over the back and um i just remember looking at my mate who was catting for me and i just said mate my mouth is so dry like i can't even swallow like i'm that nervous so i could have honestly felt like i don't know whether anyone's seen the movie three amigos when he goes to get his drink bottle and all the sand just goes straight in his mouth like i'm just i just couldn't couldn't get it together so i'm glad it, uh, i'm glad i got the win because geez i would have had nightmares forever if i uh if I didn't. 
Just one on the, the course specifically, Zach, because obviously you've gone back and um, played the New Zealand Open since at, at places like I mentioned. I mean, the Hills is one of the nicest golf courses in the Southern Hemisphere, let alone the country, but obviously privately owned by Michael Hill. Millbrook's a beautiful place. Um, Jack's Point is visually stunning, but there is something special about that Arrowtown course, isn't it? In terms of, it, it seems as though the course... Um, is secondary to to the patch of land and it kind of weaves its way through a, a beautiful beautiful piece of land to walk and, and one where I'm sure as I said it holds must hold special memories for you given how it coincided with your first major victory yeah it's a really unique place and it's on a great um, bit of land there it sort of runs um, you know at the at the foot of the, all the hills so it's um, it's just, I mean, the scenery there is um, second to none and the actual course, as you said, just weaves its way. And, um, yeah, I, it's really hard to describe um, how, I, I suppose if there's one word to put it, it's, it's quite majestic, um, if I can uh, if I can use that. Uh, it's, um, it's a very special place. Um, and, yeah, as you said, like you've got some pretty big-name courses around it and it certainly are. Uh, I think it certainly holds holds its own. Last year's Australian PGA Championship, mate. Uh, Scotty won it, but for you, it was um, it ultimately ended up in you securing your, your European Tour card. Tell us about that moment. Tell us what it meant to you. You had uh, good family around, I believe. There was a good following for you on that last day. Tell us what it what it meant to you to finally secure that European Tour card. Yeah, it's I sort of. I mean, I went to European tour school um, and I sort of remember sitting on the plane on the way over. Just, I just didn't have a good feeling about it for some reason. And um, I just always felt as though it was going to come down to the PGA on getting my European tour card. Um, I just felt somewhere inside me that that was what was going to happen. Um, and I went over to Q school and I actually played quite well in the first couple of days, but just fell away and didn't get my card and um, and I got to the PGA um, after missing the cut at New South Wales Open and Australian Open um, and I, I certainly felt the pressure because being on the European Tour has been a lifelong dream for me, you know, I remember waking, you know, I remember staying awake sort of um, until 2 and 3am in the morning watching the tour, I just, I love it um, so much and it was uh, it was really special to have you know a fair bit of family there supporting me, and I think that's probably what got me over the line. I needed a pretty good final round, and um, I think I, by memory, I had three under in the last round and, and birdied the last. Um, and uh, I just I I don't know why I do, but I always just seem to hear Dad over everybody else in the crowd, and I just heard him scream you effing beauty just <laughs> at the top of his lungs um so uh i just i'll never forget that it's like every time i think of the moment i can just hear him freaking going absolutely mental in the background and um yeah we certainly enjoyed a few floppy chops after that round i'll tell you what probably would have turned some heads at royal pines i would have thought that sort of language from the gallery <laughs> yeah everyone was getting like you had three heads did you had you done the maths? Did you know what you had to do to to qualify? Oh yeah, I, I'd got, I, oh, and I'm sure if Dad listens to this, he and I'd love for him to tell you, but he had some spreadsheet that he'd done. Um, he didn't tell me this, but Dad had done a spreadsheet with like every possible conclusion, and it looked like he was the scientist. Um, and I could just I could see when I sort of got to a couple under I. I could just see that all of a sudden he relaxed. Like I just, and I knew that I would, I had to have under par to basically secure it because I, um, it was sort of, it sort of meant that someone way down the pack had to come back and come out and win. And they nearly did. I mean, Min Wu was right up there for a while and, and Wade Ormsby. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, when I finished three under, I knew something pretty ridiculous. Um, had to happen, but it nearly it nearly did. So it was uh, it was certainly a day packed full of nerves. But it was nice when um, I finally found out that I uh, I'd got the chockies. 
I'm sure it was. Let's talk about 2020, mate. Uh, you have had a, a fantastic start uh, to the year. Obviously, we were talking about it being um, rudely interrupted by the coronavirus uh, earlier on. But you started off 2020 and, and finished T21 at the uh, Abu Dhabi uh, championship there, the HSBC championship. That was won by Lee Westwood. How's this for a top five? Won by Lee Westwood, Tommy Fleetwood, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Victor Perez, and then the great man Louis Oosthuizen rounding out the top five. You must have been uh, pretty pleased with your performance there to to have such uh, a good championship and have those five have those five blokes beat you. Yeah, yeah it was uh, it was a really cool week that week. I rode my first camel um, out in the desert, so that uh, <laughs> that was that was the highlight. I mean, I. I have a tough time being six foot five, but to put me on a freaking ginormous camel was uh, that really um, that really threw me off. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, I played I played really well the first round. I was holding it from everywhere, chipping in. It was like I was fifteen again. You know, it was, I remember looking at the leaderboard after thirteen holes, and I'd, I've got a relatively new caddy, um, Simon Clark, and I. I remember looking at him and I was on top of the leaderboard. I think I was seven under um, and Brooks Kepka was underneath me. And I just remember looking at him going, geez, mate, how cool is this? You know, like I just thought, freaking hell, blow the siren now. Um, <laughs> where's the cypress and, tree uh, falling down? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I thought, where's the storm? Roll in, roll in for three days. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, uh, I, but the one thing I, I learned is in those big events, you've just got to put your, you know, Foot to the uh, foot to the floor, and um, you know. Although I was trying, it, um, I think I, I think I finished eleven under, eleven or twelve under for the week. Um, and I said to myself, if I could get to double digits for the week, I'd be absolutely stoked. So um, yeah, I was really really happy with the result, and I was I only got an invite three or four days before the tournament started. So um, yeah, it was it was really uh, really quite quite the good. The, um, the best way to start the year, I would say. You then jetted off to uh, over to Mexico to play in the WGC, where you finished T forty eight at Chapultepec. So, obviously, I want to know how how much uh, further were you hitting the ball? That's the first part of the question. How much f- further was the ball going? But then also, you, you played with some great players in uh, in those four days. You got Colin Morikawa for the first two rounds. You had Foxy and. Abraham answer in the third round, which I reckon would have been a lot of fun to be a fly on the wall. And then you had Tommy Fleetwood in the fourth round. You, uh, you must have been buzzing coming home from uh, Mexico after after such another good performance. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it wasn't for that. Uh, I four putted the seven eighth in the last round. That cost me a couple of uh, couple of dollars. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's another story. I was pretty pretty. Uh, Pretty pissed off walking off that that green on the last day, but uh, yeah, it's, it was pretty awesome. I, I I was actually in the elevator with um, Tommy Fleetwood on in the practice round, and I was still afraid to say good day. Like he's a he's a pretty big idol of mine, and I was just staring at him like I wanted to make love to him. But um, I uh, not the only one who does I that said, when they stare at him. I think to be honest, Zach. Oh no, he's the uh, he's a bloody rooster. Um, but I uh, I remember saying to my girlfriend and she was um, she was like, "What are you doing? Why are you looking at me? Why don't you just say good day?" And I was like, "Yeah, like Tommy Fleetwood. Like, I don't know. He might be deep in thought about something. You know, um, I'm not going to disturb the man." Um, and then I got paired with him on the last day, and uh, yeah, I mean, like, it took me a few holes to say good day to him, or to actually have a chat to him like a normal person. So, um, but it was really cool. I mean. Uh, he's a uh, he's a ripping fellow, and um, yeah, you can certainly see like how consistent those guys are at the top. Like, um, you know, there's, I'm not going to shy away from saying that there's certainly um, that next level ahead, which is um, something that you know I strive and want to and want to be there one day. So um, that was really cool. And then playing with Foxy and Abraham Answer on the third day was. Um, was that was that was pro- to be fair that was probably the best day of um, of all four playing with Abraham Answer because he uh, obviously being a local um, local there he would have had four or five thousand um, people following around and I just remember looking around and I 
you know, usually on the first few days, I could see my coach Marty was there and Ames was there as well. I could, I sort of, you know, you can see him every hole. And then I, I don't think I saw him for the whole day. That's how many people were there um, watching. And then they gave him the Mexican flag on the 17th and he sort of ran, ran around like he was entering a boxing, you know, boxing fight. And they were just all chanting and it was just absolutely phenomenal. Like I had goosebumps. It was um, something I'll, I'll never forget. What about Colin Morikawa in that those first two rounds, Zach? Oh, we we often talk about that next generation coming through in young American players on this podcast, and you know whether it's him, um, Matthew Wolf, not American, but you throw Victor Hovland in that mix, and you know that 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 battle over the next ten to twelve years will be pretty interesting. But he he seems to have just edged himself out in the in the front of that pack, particularly his iron player. It's been a long time since we've seen someone hit it as clean with their irons as Colin Morikawa, so. What was the first two rounds of golf up close with with him like? Yeah, it was really good. He's um, he's a pretty focused individual. I didn't really chat to him a hell of a lot. He's he's pretty um, he's pretty into it. Uh, but yeah, he um, he's certainly a, you know a pretty good player. I actually played a little bit of amateur golf with him um, in a couple of tournaments over in the states, so I sort of knew him a little bit. Um, and he's always been been really steady, like he's. Uh, he's a great player, obviously, um, but he's just so consistent. Like he's a great driver of the ball. Like he didn't really do that much wrong. He didn't score well, but you could sort of see that. You know, he uh, he plays like a like a tour winner. Um, and I think a couple of weeks before that, he did he did win. So um, yeah, he's um, he's certainly one to watch. I think he's got a great mentality, and um, yeah, he goes about uh, playing the game very well. A couple of other results uh, this this season. Uh, T24 at the New Zealand Open. Uh, but the one I want to ask you about is is the Vic Open. T15 this year for you. But I suppose more importantly, the significance for you to come home and play in your, your home state Open. And in a tournament that uh, I think in the last couple of years has deservedly gained a lot of positive press in the forward-thinking way that they have both the male and female players playing the same course at the same time. I think it, um, I'm sure as a Victorian, you take an awful lot of pride in coming home to a tournament that has really put itself on the map in the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I look forward to, to that event every year. It's, um, they run a really good event down there. Um, and to have, to have that, uh, the mixed field is, is really good because you obviously get... Um, you know, a lot more variety of, of golf fans um, and they're really receptive. They're, they're great fans down there. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, have a, I don't have a bad word to say about it, to be fair. It's just a great, a great vibe and atmosphere down there. Um, they have sort of that three or four hole stretch that sort of runs sort of in and around the clubhouse um, there and you always get, um, you always get the fellas that have had a couple of too many cans. Um, singing and screaming which is great you know that's what uh that's what being at a sporting event is all about you know just enjoying enjoying time with friends and family and and watching a bit of golf when you get a chance so um yeah it was it was really special to be back there playing and um you know i've always said that i'll do my absolute best to come back and play in uh in all the aussie events um because i just as i as i said i love being i love being home so there's no uh you don't really have to twist my arm to come back and, and play if I'm ever um, based overseas. So, um, yeah, it was obviously nice to get a solid result there after doing a fair bit of travel at the start of the year. Zach, I want to, I suppose, maybe talk something off the course for a moment. You've referenced it a number of times in our conversation so far tonight and, and above and beyond that, you've been quite open with your, your battle with anxiety. Uh, I'm curious to know whether... Obviously, I, I think that you are um, probably representative of a larger sample of athletes, but also community more broadly, but part of a minority that have the the courage to get on the front foot and speak about it. And, and I wonder for you personally, is is speaking about it part of dealing with it and processing it on a day-to-day basis? Uh, and do you feel as though the environment in which we live in now is far more friendly and conducive to being able to be open and honest about the challenges that you face? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember um, 
being a part of the VIS when I was um, sort of I was sort of a, a semi scholarship holder when I was fifteen and sixteen, and um, you know the people that were around me and, and my coach today, you know, had no idea what I was going through because I was too afraid to tell someone that I. And I, to be fair, at that age, I didn't really know what was going on. Like I just. I thought I was just nervous about going to Melbourne or I thought I was nervous about leaving home. Like I had no idea really what I was worrying about and, and the depth of, you know, what it could eventuate to be. And I really struggled to tell, you know, people close to me apart from my family, what I was dealing with up until I was sort of 18, you know, when I didn't want to move to Melbourne when I finished school, because that was the in- intention with the VIS for me to move down when I finished. And, I just couldn't, you know, and they sort of, um, you know, had no idea why I didn't want to, you know, I, I assume they would have thought that I just didn't, didn't want to, didn't want it enough, you know, and, and, I, and it's clearly fair enough because if I don't want to move and I don't come to training, you know, and I think eventually I just, you know, I said to dad, I've got to, I've got to tell them, um, and, you know, they had no idea and it's really hard because I was pretty good at disguising it, um, and yeah, it has become a big part of my life, and I try and talk about it as much as possible in a in a uh, in a positive way because it is a big part of me. You know, I I go through it every day with different different things. Like, and it's not it doesn't debilitate me now like it used to. But there was certainly some stages in my life where I you know I couldn't do things um, because of it, um, and it's something that I'm really passionate about helping others with. And, um, you know, it's really become like my girlfriend. Um, she's just finished her psychology degree. So it's obviously something that we talk about it a lot. Um, and it's just become a big, a big talking point and a passion of mine in, in just helping others, um, that might be going through, through stuff. Um, because yeah, it's really tough. Um, when you're trying to deal with it yourself, um, it's basically impossible to to um, conjure up or um, decipher your thoughts in your own brain. Um, and I think being able to express yourself for me works the easiest. Some people like to write, some people like to um, exercise and get it out. But for me, talking about it, um, I've found is is the biggest. Uh, biggest factor in, in helping me get through it do you think and, and i don't want to i don't want to get too personal so if it's a question you, you don't feel comfortable in, in answering certainly certainly don't feel obliged to but I, i'm wondering if you think it in some ways has contributed positively to your golf in the sense that and i don't know your personal um experience i don't know if it comes in waves or there are triggers or it's something that you deal with every day from the moment you wake up but if there's something like that in your life that requires your focus and your energy, uh, I, I suppose, to deal with on a day-to-day basis, then golf almost becomes a release in many ways, shapes or form, I can imagine. And, and it becomes secondary to what you are, uh, you know, dealing with a very serious issue. So I, I don't know, maybe if it's, you feel as though it's almost been a conduit to playing good golf as being able to not necessarily be so inside your own mind with the club in hand, given all the other things you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Oh, hundred percent. Like I, you couldn't have put it any better. Like I think I mentioned it before um, when I said it's my, and I, I think I've sort of started to not work, not use the word anxiety as much. I think I've just started to use the word, you know, me, like that's, that's just me. Like it's how, how my neural pathways work it's just it's just what happens you know i i things just happen day-to-day stuff that might make me anxious or make me you know just feel a little bit off um and i suppose that sensitivity that i've got inside me um you know it's tough sometimes but as you said like i actually struggle with it quite a bit in mexico this year for some reason i just didn't feel that flash and uh, whether it was me being at altitude or the jet lag or whatever it was, I just, I was struggling with a bit of anxiety that week. Like, um, I just couldn't get that churning out of my stomach. And, um, 
but I it took away the pressure of playing well. And to be fair, the, the last day I felt the best and I played the worst. So not that that means that I've got to hang, have anxiety every time I play to play well. But it's just like I don't think it's any coincidence that when my when I am struggling a little bit or I have struggled, my expectations on myself do go down and I focus more on um, what I've got to do to function the best rather than the actual performance itself. I, I don't think there's any any doubt in that and I think having learning, you know, some pretty good human qualities um, along the way has been the biggest help for me as well. I, I think just learning to be, you know, a, a good person and, um, you know, try and understand everybody and understand their situation. Um, so I think that sort of, it's been a big one for me in understanding resilience and yeah, I mean, I could, I, I'm sure that you can understand that I'm pretty passionate about it and I can talk about it for hours. Like I, I just, uh, I love it, you know, and it's, it's tough, but I, I really think, um, you can certainly channel it, channel it in a, in a positive way. Um, if, uh, if you're surrounded by the right people, um, which I fortunately fortunately was, because I certainly wouldn't have learned how to uh, how to function the way I am now without without those people. It's a great message, mate, and it's uh, and it's one that you you're championing uh, fantastically, mate. So uh, so keep doing it. You've been great with your time. We've got a couple more questions that we want to throw at you before we uh, let you go. You've played in a couple of blitz golf tournaments, uh, which have which have resulted in some success for you, mate. How did you find the blitz golf format? Uh, we've had Simon on the show, and and things are certainly growing. So hopefully, we'll see you over here in Perth uh, in January next year for that one. But uh, a, a couple of wins at blitz golf. Yeah, I love it. You know, short and sharp. That's that's what I'm all about. You know, get in and uh, and get the job done. So. Um, this year, this year I don't think I'd played in like a couple of weeks, and um, you know I just rocked it. I feel like it goes back to expectations every time I talk about when I play well, um, which is sort of a bit of a lesson for me. Um, so I would definitely credit you guys in the future because I've probably just learned a lot just talking to you about like where my success lies. Uh, maybe I just don't. Uh, maybe I just hang up the sticks for a couple of weeks every time before a tournament. But um, happy to help, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they're great events. I, 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 I really like it. You know, as I said before, um, you know, there's the, the people there watching, just having a beer or um, out with their family, and um, you know, got the kids out there and the dogs, and you know, it's just, it's just, it's just brilliant. You know, it's a good way to, uh, it's a good way to promote the game. Um, and uh, obviously, the last couple of years, there's been some some great fields as well. And I think the format. The format is um, yeah, it just suits me. It's, um, I don't uh, I don't really know how to explain how I've had the success apart from I just um, I like knowing that I've got to I've got to I've got to perform um, and it's do or die. I think that sort of in, if that's uh, if that's in my life if I've got to do something I just somehow find a way to to do it. Um, so if I can. Um, transform that mentality into a four-round tournament, um, I might uh, might be playing this game for a while. I did uh, I did a bit of reading and, and found that Henrik Stenson is, uh, is a player that, that you look up to very highly. What is it about the great Swede? Is it, is it uh, w- you can tell me, what is it about the great Swede that, uh, that you look up to so highly about him? Oh, I just think his mannerisms, I don't know, he's just a pretty cool dude. Um, I think, and I, I'm not sure whether you fellows have watched it, but if you haven't, certainly get, get on it. The um, 2016 Open Championship documentary, um, it's called The Jewel of the Sun. Um, and when he, when he won, when he won against Phil Mickelson um, at, uh, at Royal Troon, um, and the documentary is just, I mean, I, rec- I honestly reckon I've watched it a hundred times. I, it's just, as soon as I get on a plane, I just turn it on like, because I don't like being on a plane. So I just turn on something I love. Um, and I just, I watched this, it's an hour and, um, just his reactions. He's just, 
No, he's just a cool dude. If I if I have an idol, he'd be the one. Like he just goes about his business. Um, he's a uh, he's a funny cat, and um, yeah, I just uh, I just love the man. He's just a guru. He's um, I love his swing. It's just yeah, as you can probably tell, like, he's just everything about the man. You know, like I, if I could have a statue of him in my backyard, I would. It's funny, Zach. You mentioned that that 2016 Open Championship. It, it, and I think it's often overlooked. Honestly, how well he played. You know, shooting 63 in the final round to get up over, um, without doubt, the second best player of the last 20 years behind Tiger Woods in Phil Mickelson. Statistically, it is, and and I believe this is correct. Statistically speaking, his four rounds is the second best performance of the major championship era. And statistically speaking, Phil Mickelson's was the fifth best of all time and he came second. So that kind of gives you an idea of how well uh, Henrik played that week to beat Phil in the fifth fifth best performance that a major of all time, statistically speaking. It was phenomenal. The jewel, as you say, the jewel in the sun, but that, that final round to see them go toe-to-toe uh, yeah, quite quite an amazing and I think often overlooked uh, final round of any any major we've seen of of recent years. Oh yeah, it was, it's phenomenal. As I said, like if anyone if anyone listens have haven't uh, haven't watched it, it's, um, yeah, it's it's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, it's, and they they interviewed obviously Phil and Henrik talk the whole time, and they interview other players um, and and journalists and. It's just, I mean, it's just an hour long of just goosebumps. Like, it's just sensational. Um, I'll probably whack it on tonight, um, to be fair. It's just that good. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, he played absolutely unbelievable. I think I think Phil said um, Henrik just striped his iron so strong through that um, air, just the whole, the whole last round. Like, everything was just come out like an absolute laser. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic. That, that final round was just phenomenal. I think I mean, they were both four or five under each after six holes or something like that in the final round, and they were already six or seven shots ahead of the rest. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it's quite phenomenal. To be fair, though, it is only my second favourite Henrik Stenson moment, and that's behind uh, a couple of years ago at a press conference over in America after... Oh, there was a, just before or just after a tournament, he was asked uh, which he loved more, his wife or his three-wood. And he looked down at his watch, paused, looked back at the journalist and said, yeah, it's fine, it's night time in Sweden, she'll be asleep. Definitely my three-wood. Yeah, unbelievable. I'm not surprised. That thing is uh, that thing is one in, some, uh, one in some dough over the years, that's for sure. Zach, last question before we uh, before we do let you go. You've done some work with the with the Sandbuilt Studios boys. They've got you a new logo that's uh, that's rocking on your bag. It's on your Instagram account. Um, tell us how that came about because uh, it's it's a pretty snazzy looking logo, mate. Yeah, it is. I think I had a. I think originally I had a. I had a picture of a um, of a giraffe uh, with a bird resting in between its ears um, as my as my profile picture. Um, and, uh, yeah, the boys over at Sandbilt Studios, um, and to be fair, I didn't even know it existed. Nikki, Nikki, uh, Mills just sent, sent through to me one afternoon and, um, you guys have, have, have a look at this. And I said, mate, like that is just unbelievable. Like it's a giraffe in the shape of a, uh, Z and an M, which are my initials. Um, so those boys have certainly uh, certainly got some creative minds, and um, they're certainly having uh, having some success in their business. And and um, yeah, they just uh, I just I just find those types of people just amazing. Like just for them to be able to put their put their heads together and come up with something like that without even you know me uh, prompting them or anything like that is um, the signs of uh, some pretty cool people. So. Um, yeah, they do some. Uh, they do some very, uh, very cool stuff. We completely concur. Good friends of the podcast here, the nineteenth T, and uh, similarly, they've uh, they've nailed our brief uh, on a number of occasions, and some exciting stuff actually to come with the boys at the Sandbills. So, 
I think uh, they got they've got two or three big fans amongst this group. Zach, you have been uh, incredibly generous with your time. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the nineteenth tee. Thank you for your honesty as well. I think uh, it, it's been probably one of the more refreshing conversations that we've had on this podcast, and that's down to I think your willingness to open up the book a bit and, and let us in and, and, and take us on, on your journey. So fingers crossed it's not the last time we speak to you. Um, you know, maybe maybe this prolonged break, if if your career trajectory is anything to go by, you probably win a couple of tournaments when we're back on in a couple of weeks' time on, <laughs> in Europe. So <laughs> we'll definitely have, uh, hopefully have another conversation in the future. And, and, uh, and I think... Uh, I think we'd also like to come down and maybe play around with the Embodonga sometime, uh, if, if possible. No, more than welcome, fellas. More than welcome. We'll be sure to hit up the local afterwards. <laughs> that's the that's really thing. what we're coming down for. <laughs> <laughs> I think mean, that's, that's all anyone goes to Wodonga for is a frothy, I think. Good man, Zach. As I said, really appreciate your time joining us and, and we wish you the very best of luck for when uh, when things resume on the European tour. We'll be keeping a close eye on you with interest and, and look forward to having you back in the future. Thanks again for your time. No, thanks so much, fellas. I really enjoyed it. I'm smiling like a Cheshire cat. <laughs>